Well, thanks, Glenn, and good morning, Christ Central Church. Uh, it's good to be with you. I'm glad uh, that you're with us on this uh, Memorial Day weekend Sunday. And as Glenn just prayed, my name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and uh, summer is upon us, uh, if you can feel it. And I know uh, many of you already have some fun summer plans, uh, but as uh, Evan mentioned earlier, I just want to encourage you to check out things that are going on in the life of our church, uh, particularly City Fellowship, uh, these all, three all-church-wide gatherings that are happening throughout the summer, uh, excited about being together as the body of Christ uh, in June, July, and August uh, in these Wednesday nights. So uh, be sure to come and invite people to come with you. One other thing that is happening uh, starting tomorrow that many of you may not know is uh, Christ Central's first ever overseas trip. Uh, our missions team uh, has been for years discussing and praying about what it would look like to choose one to two global partnership cities where we could partner deeply with churches and ministries within that city. And so tomorrow, uh, myself, Fabian Anderson, and Mawetu Nkaka will be flying to Cape Town, South Africa for an eight-day vision trip to listen, to learn, to connect with those churches and ministries, and discern the possibility of partnering uh, with the churches and ministries there. Uh, the missions team believes that Cape Town, South Africa makes a lot of sense as a partner city. Uh, one in which we could be ministered to and then minister to them, one where we can learn a lot from and also contribute to. Uh, and so uh, if you didn't know, if you don't know the Nkakas, Mawetu and Lisa uh, know Cape Town really well. Moetu is from there. Uh, the Nkakas lived there, ministered there for years. Uh, we've been financially supporting uh, a church plant there for years. And so we are pumped to be going tomorrow. Uh, I would ask that you would pray for us uh, in our travel, pray for our time in country, that God would be at work while we're there leading us, and, and that he would then lead the missions team as we come back uh, along with the churches and ministries there to discern what partnership might look like for Christ Central there. We are excited as a church uh, about increasing uh, our global ministry, uh, and so pray for this. We're excited uh, about, about this trip that's happening and starting tomorrow. Uh, but this morning, uh, we are finishing up our Eastertide sermon series called Resurrection Stories. Uh, next week, uh, Pastor Evan is going to launch into our summer sermon series titled Sacred Practices uh, as we enter into ordinary time in the Christian liturgical calendar. Throughout the summer, we're going to look at different biblical and historical practices that God has given his people as a means of formation. Uh, there are eight spiritual practices that we've identified as a church that we believe are vital and important within the Christian life. And so we want to equip you with these practices. We want to encourage you to grow in them as a means of resting in the love and the grace of God, as a means of deepening your identity as a child of God, as a way of transforming you day by day by his grace. And so I'm excited this summer uh, for us to be honing in on these spiritual and sacred practices. I hope you'll join us uh, as we look at them and, and invite others to come as well. But today we conclude Eastertide. It is a 50-day season that we've been celebrating and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today we celebrate Pentecost, a day set aside to celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not simply received once by the early church in the passage that we're going to look at this morning in Acts chapter 2. It is a gift that is received when someone becomes a Christian. It's a gift that when once received, continues to give for the rest of our lives. And so this morning, we're going to look at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand 
and we're going to give attention to God's word this morning. Something, something's happening with my mic. Can you, am I good? We're good? All right. I, I felt like kids were talking behind me or something. It's just me moving around up here. So, um, All right. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. This is God's word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Lord God, I ask that you would come to us now, Holy Spirit, that you would come down upon your word that was just read, that you would come down upon us gathered, and that you would speak, and that we would have ears to hear, hearts that would be transformed, that Christ would be experienced, the risen Christ experienced in our gathering now. Remove me so that Christ and Christ alone is preached. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, start again on Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 13 here. Uh, I mean, we just read, this is God's word to us this morning, and we got to ask the question, what does this mean? What does Acts chapter 2 mean? I mean, what does it really mean? And that's the question you ask when you're trying to understand something, right? What does this mean? And it's always the question you ask when you're trying to interpret a biblical passage, right? What does this mean? But I'm not sure I've preached on many passages in the Bible that ask that question for you. That's the question asked by those witnessing in this Pentecostal event. They are asking, what does this mean? The Holy Spirit has come down in power and has caused this perfect storm of rushing wind and fire resting on everyone. The supernatural is invading the natural, and it was so powerful that it attracted a crowd. And those in the city had to come see what this storm was all about. And verse 12 tells us that they heard the disciples proclaiming the mighty works of God in their own language, and they were amazed and perplexed, and they asked, what does this mean? So that's the question I want us to consider this morning. What does Acts chapter 2 mean? What does it mean for us? Because what happened in Acts chapter 2 would change the world. What happened on this day as the gift of the Holy Spirit was received, it would change this ragtag, small ragtag group of people who were on the margins of the Roman Empire into an empowered force that would turn the world upside down, as Acts chapter 17 tells us. 
the Holy Spirit. It is often the misunderstood, misapplied, and even missed altogether third person of the Trinity. And so to give us understanding, I think there are three very significant things we need to look at this morning in our passage. The significance of Pentecost, the significance of wind and fire, and lastly, the significance of tongues. Let's look together at the significance of Pentecost. Verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, Pentecost was a Jewish celebration already. So Jews celebrated Pentecost with two things in mind. The first is that it was a celebration of first fruits, the time when you would gather and give thanks for God's abundant provision of the harvest. And it was also, secondly, a celebration of God giving the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. And so we have to ask ourselves, why would God choose this day to come down in power? Let's look first at first fruits. First fruits is the first of the harvest or the beginning of the harvest. First fruits were a taste of what was to come in fullness when the harvest was reaped. It was a taste of the future. And it's on this day that the Holy Spirit comes down in power. I was with some guys in our church on Tuesday night and we were just talking and I I told them that I've just kind of been in a place realizing lately uh, of being impressed upon more and more the reality of the fragility of life. Just realizing that, that everything is subject to decay. Life ends in death. Families can break down in dysfunction. Relationships suffer conflict. Work can be filled with thorns and thistles. Our bodies get older and start falling apart. Everything is subject to decay. And the promise of Christianity that's being declared in Acts chapter 2 is that one day God is going to fall down in power and put an end to all decay that everything will be glorified and made new. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 32 says that you and I have the first fruits of the Spirit. It's not the whole harvest, but the Spirit of God gives us, gives us a real foretaste of what is to come. And when the Spirit of God falls upon his people, we get tastes, we get glimpses of what is to come in full one day, someday. The Holy Spirit pushes back the decay and brokenness of this world and brings healing and restoration. And as this happens, we become people of hope. And we trust that there is an even greater harvest coming, that God is going to bring renewal to every square inch of this world. Pentecost was also significant because it was a day that Jews remembered God giving the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Pentecost was celebrated 50 days after the Jewish festival of Passover. Passover was when God set Israel free from slavery in Egypt. Israel would then spend 50 days wandering in the desert until they came to Mount Sinai. And there Moses ascends Mount Sinai, encounters the living God who gives him the law, and then Moses descends with the law written on tablets of stone as a gift for the people of God. But if you've read Exodus, then you know when Moses came down, Israel was consumed for themselves. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to be like the other nations. So here in Acts, Jesus ascends in Acts chapter 1. And the Spirit descends here on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And God is reconstituting his people. He's declaring Jesus 50 days before this Pentecost celebration in Acts 2 was the Passover lamb who was slain who bore the sins of, his, of the people in his body on that tree. 
and then he would spend three days in the grave, rise, and then 40 days after his resurrection, he would ascend to heaven where he would sit at the right hand of God as the holy and faithful one. And 50 days after the cross, the spirit comes down. Not a list of rules, but the spirit comes down to fulfill what the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. When the gift of the Holy Spirit comes, we receive new hearts. And we are assured of Jesus' work on our behalf, that in Christ we are forgiven, that in Christ we are redeemed, and in Christ we're made the beloved people of God. The Holy Spirit is the promise and proof that because of Jesus, he is our God and we are his people. That is the significance of Pentecost. Let's look next at the significance of wind and fire. Verse 1, the disciples of Jesus, they're, to, they're gathered together in one place. Verse 2, suddenly this like, hurricane-like wind start rushing. Verse 6 tells us that this storm, this movement of God by his Spirit was so big and so loud that the whole city becomes aware of it. And the Holy Spirit falls upon those gathered in the form of wind and fire. Now, fire without wind or wind without fire you might could manage. But when wind catches fire, you get a runaway blaze. Just ask someone who's experienced a wildfire. Nobody wants a fire with wind. It can quickly become something you cannot handle. And in the Bible, when wind and fire, these are very important manifestations of God that convey meaning. Wind, the word for wind in both Hebrew and Greek is the word used for spirit. Genesis, in the beginning, when God created woman and man, he blows wind into their nostrils and he gifts them life. John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that in order to be born again, the wind of God or the spirit of God must come and give life. Wind represents the life of God. Fire in the Old Testament represents the presence of God. Genesis Chapter 17, God makes a covenant with Abraham and a fiery cauldron representing God passes through the sacrifice. Israel was led in the wilderness by a fiery pillar. When Moses received the law on Mount Sinai, a fiery cloud was seen. Fire represents the presence of God. The two theophanies of wind and fire help us understand the role of the Holy Spirit, which is this. The Holy Spirit's role is to lead people into the experience of the life and presence of God. The Holy Spirit is the divine agency that mediates the invasion of and the experience of the transcendent God into our earthly lives and world. Now, I realize that many Christians and many churches have been influenced by science and modernity, have erred towards stripping religion of its transcendence. Many are tempted to no longer believe in miracles, to question the literal, literal revelation of God. And I don't think it takes a, a lot of thinking to, to, to understand why many churches are no longer relevant in stripping it of its transcendence. A British religious scholar Karen Armstrong says there's nothing less relevant than a non-transcendent religion. And I think our society now is starting to realize this. I read an article this past week in the New Atlantis titled Rational Magic by Tara Burton. Uh, the subtitle was Why a Silicon Valley Culture that was once obsessed with reason is going woo. 
It was this fascinating article on how there's this growing movement of people who identify themselves as post-rationalists. Right? Many of the tech leaders in Silicon Valley, they've become disillusioned with the power of reason and personal autonomy. Uh, listen to this just quick quote from the article. Uh, she writes this, the chipper, distinctly liberal optimism of rationalist culture that defines so much of Silicon Valley ideology that intelligent people using the right epistemic tools can think better and save the world by doing so is giving way not to pessimism exactly, but to a kind of techno-apocalypticism. We've run up against the limits, political, cultural, and social alike, of our civilizational progression, and something newer, weirder, maybe even a little more exciting has to take its place. Some of what we've lost, a sense of wonder, say, or the transcendent, must be restored. Non-Christians saying transcendence must be restored. Because people are longing for more. People are longing for something beyond ourselves. And Christianity says that people long for transcendence because it's put in the human heart by God. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has put eternity into humanity's heart. And the Holy Spirit is how one experiences the transcendent God. Theologian Simeon Zoll says the Holy Spirit is how the idea of God becomes the reality of God. Now, I realize there are people within Christianity who get nervous using the word experience, especially in some of our Reformed theological circles. And there is a rifle discernment of experience. Not all experience is Holy Spirit experience. But I use this word purposefully. Because I think the Holy Spirit's role is exactly that, to lead us to experience the life and presence of God here on earth. When the Holy Spirit works, it is affective. Our desires are influenced. Our loves are changed. Our hearts are transformed. I was watching, our family was watching Chronicles of Narnia, a Voyage of the Dawn Treader yesterday on a rainy Saturday. And uh, I don't know how many times we've watched it, uh, a lot. Uh, I read it with my two older boys a few years ago. It's probably our favorite in the series, of Chronicles of Narnia. And one of my favorite scenes in the book and in the movie is when Eustace, the cousin of Edmund and Lucy, is changed into a dragon because greed and evil overtake him. And he's finally transformed into a boy when Aslan appears. Right? Aslan is uh, God. And Eustace uh, is a dragon. He's laying on the beach, and Aslan appears. And Aslan starts to claw at Eustace and tear away his skin. And he's finally transformed into this new boy with a changed heart. And Edmund asked Eustace afterward, as they're rowing on the boat headed to Aslan's land, what did it feel like? And Eustace says, there was nothing I could do to change myself until he moved toward me. And Eustace comes out of that encounter with Aslan with a transformed heart, with new desires and new affections. And as I watched that yesterday, I thought that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is God moving toward you. And it leads us into the experience of God's life and his presence. And through it, our hearts are truly changed. The last thing I'll say about the significance of wind and fire is that when the Holy Spirit falls upon a person, it ignites others. Because a blazing wildfire that starts to consume one person spreads to others into communities and cities and to the world. Verse 3, fire rested on each one of them. And the Holy Spirit doesn't remain localized, but in Acts 2 it spreads to the city. And then the book of Acts tells us that it spreads to the world. When the Holy Spirit comes, it ignites a movement of God through the people and through his church. 
Christ Central, please realize this. This is how the Christian church began. Not by buying buildings, not by creating programs, not by looking for super personalities or creating spiritual entertainment, but by the Holy Spirit igniting renewal through wind and fire. Sometimes we can wonder why the church in the West is not making more of an impact on society. Why are people not being drawn to the church? If the church is not on fire, why would anyone pay attention? But when the church is set ablaze by the Holy Spirit to experience the life and presence of God, it is a power that ignites a movement of God. A church can have all the right forms and functions, but without wind and fire, there is no power. Let's look last at the significance of tongues. Verse 4 says, They began to speak in other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. Just to be clear on this was not ecstatic prayer language. They immediately began to speak in other languages in which the people who were attracted to this Holy Spirit storm understood because it was their language. Verse 8, they heard in their own native language. Verse 11, they heard what was being declared was the mighty works of God. When the Spirit of God comes down upon the people of God, a power ignites the church into a mission of declaring the mighty works of God and enabling those who hear to understand. Right after our passage, Peter the Apostle preaches a sermon and 3,000 people believe in Jesus and are baptized. Acts 2, verse 41. Bishop Will Willeman writes this, the Spirit is the power which enables the church to go public with its good news, to attract a crowd and to have something to say worth hearing. Tongues, tongues is not only significant in that it points to the power of speaking and declaring the works of God and people then hearing and believing, but it's also significant as Glenn prayed earlier, because the tongues of all these nations represent an international family. The last time you get a list of nations like we see in Acts chapter 2 is in Genesis 11. And and there we see God judging the human community for its disobedience and then confusing the languages of the people and scattering them throughout the earth. But in this new community, God by his spirit is reestablishing, reorganizing, and regathering all of humanity together under Christ. So the point of this miracle is not to say, oh, wow, Peter, you didn't grow up learning Swahili. How'd you do that? Rather, it's God showing that he's lifting the curse of sin and that eventually all of humanity is going to submit to King Jesus as Lord of heaven and earth. God is gathering under his lordship a multicultural, multi-ethnic community from every tongue, tribe, and nation. When the Spirit of God comes in power, a community of wildly different cultures, languages, social customs, music styles, political parties can come together in unity under our head, the Lord Jesus. The church should be a place where walls of, of ethnicity, race, and class are torn down, where black and Asian and white and Latino are together, where rich and poor are together, where Democrats and Republicans are together, where blue devils, Tar Heels, Eagles, and Wolfpack are together, where artists and engineers are together. We are to be a people who love each other in our differences because the main thing about us is that we are first and foremost in Christ. We are one in him. So may it be so for us, Christ Central. May Holy Spirit empower this to be more and more true of us. And at this, I know that our city and the world will wonder and ask, what is happening over there? What is happening over there? Let me conclude by just reminding what I said at the beginning. Pentecost is a day where we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 2 says, suddenly it came down from heaven. The Christian vision of the world is unique. We believe everything is a gift from God. All of life is a gift from above. Every good and perfect gift comes down. The Holy Spirit's a gift and it comes down and it comes down suddenly. Wind and fire, meaning it's unpredictable and uncontrollable. We can't manufacture it. We can't control it, but we can ask for it. And we can wait for it and we can long for it. Because Christ Central, we need the perfect storm of the Holy Spirit to come upon us so that we get a taste of what is to come. So that we have our hearts transformed so that a power is leading all of us into a real experience of the life and presence of God in such a deeply personal way that it it ignites a movement where we declare the mighty works of God and the public pays attention As we look to Jesus, our head, who is fashioning and making us into an international family that is unified in him. And when this happens, our neighbors, our coworkers, our city and the world, they will ask, what storm is blowing over there? What is happening? What does this mean? Let's pray. Lord God, would you come down upon us by your spirit? Would you give us new hearts? Would a power blow upon us that it would ignite a movement that would spread from us to our neighbors, our city, and to the world? Would you draw us together to be one body made up of our beautiful differences, but finding our ultimate identity in you, Jesus? Thank you that you're with us. I pray that you would bless us as we come to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.